Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. No, Gavin. We don't not work in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in the federal government. Ass. The following podcast contains... This man! This man is responsible for so much filth! Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided it was time to talk about the 2020 election on the fourth day of 2019, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, January 4th, 2019, and the Race is On edition of the show, where we examine the shape of things to come. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by PredictoPoll, your one-stop shop for the future. Are you tired of waiting to be told how people are thinking about things that haven't happened yet? Are you bored with public perceptions of things after they happen? PredictoPoll is the answer for your problem you didn't even know you had. Our patented scientific method looks into the future and decides what people are going to think about things by just making shit up. Why worry about statistics and analytics when you can pay some people just to make shit up and see what happens when it's over? Who knows? We might even be right. Act Now and PredictoPoll will provide you with a snapshot of the stock market six months from now. Financial investing deprives risk. This market analysis is not based on reality, and this is using it will almost certainly lose their money. But then again, maybe they won't. Try here. Stop. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. Nature abhors a vacuum. It's something people say when they want to preface their pomposity with some scientific sounding bullshit. And I am no different. I adore personal pomposity the way other people adore their children. And since I've no children, I'm left with only my overweening love of the sound of my own voice. I think there's a connection. Speaking of vast and unchecked egos, for this first episode of 2019, we turn to politics and political punditry, who are very much with the unease of the vacuum created by the 2018 elections. Not the elections themselves or the shifts in the balance of power, but rather the absence of an election for them to drone on and on about and all i feel is emptiness there are as of this recording 669 days my until the 2020 presidential election presidential elections and both the candidates and the political writers are queuing up to plant their feet into the race already senator elizabeth warren has formed an exploratory committee for 2020 which is the political speak equivalent of saying that you are exploring the coffee shop where you stop to get your coffee every day this exploratory committee means in real speak 
I plan on running for president. Would you please give me some money so that I might do so? And there's nothing wrong with this. It's how things have done in America. It's how they've always been done in America, even before there was an America. George Washington launched his presidential exploratory community for, in 1776 when he showed up at the Continental Congress wearing his old French and Indian War uniform and walked around telling everybody in the room. Right. It's very presidential of me, don't you think? You weren't there. You don't know he didn't say this. And look, I'm no different. I speak as a pundit, not a political candidate. Trust me, if I showed up to say the New York City Council meetings wearing a French and Indian war uniform, people are not going to consider me presidential. They're going to consider me a... You're a loony. It's equally possible that people think this about me anyway. And look, also, I don't consider myself a pundit either. I think of myself as more a commentator on politics than a pundit. But what I definitely know that I am is in need of content. So this week, I decided I was going to take a look at the frontrunners for the Democratic nomination in 2020. And I'm basing this entire show on a Slate article titled, What the Democrats 2020 Field Looks Like Now, running down the top seven polling potentials in order. So without further hesitation, let's meet your 2020 contenders. On top of the polls right now is perennial contender and everyone's favorite uncle, Joe Biden. Really? This guy again? That's right. Delaware's own big fucking deal veteran senator and two-term popular vice president and inspiration hands down for hands down the funniest onion character of all time, Diamond Joe. Owners and employees of numerous establishments along Biden's route reported seeing him attempting to get rides from customers, telling them that he needed to get to Charlotte Pronto so he could give a big fancy speech in front of some real uptight gas bags. He was here last night and he kept buying everyone sitting at the bar mimosas. So I cut his tab off at about $400. But when I asked him to pay up, he said all he had was a pack of Marlboros. And then he was like, Uncle Joe can think of a couple ways to pay you. I turned around for one second and the son of a bitch was gone. To be honest, I thought it was kind of cute. Biden brings to the table a wealth of experience and ability, and of the top contenders at the moment, he's clearly the most qualified for the job. There is no doubt in this podcaster's mind that if elected, Joe Biden would be an excellent president and a great source of laughs. Not just because of the onion who would bring back Diamond Joe. And honestly... I would vote for him for that reason alone, but because the actual Joe Biden is by his own admission a, quote, gaff machine, unquote. African-American yeah. who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and nice-looking guy. I mean, it's, that's a storybook, man. That's right. He called Barack Obama articulate, bright, and clean. And Obama didn't get pissed. He made Biden his veep. That's how cool Joe Biden fucking is. Still, after probably four years, I don't know. Who knows? We might get lucky. Of a president who just shits out his mouth, whatever random thought is in his tiniest brain. Do we want or need another one? Not that Joe is really that bad, but still. Also, Joe suffers from a key drawback besides of his lack of a personal edit button, primarily in the fact that he's a old white dude. And that's not something he can just, you know, avoid. If elected, he would be 78 when inaugurated. Reagan was 73 when he took office, and by the end of his term, his brain was cottage cheese headed toward yogurt. Although, to be honest, it was never more than camembert at the best. Biden would be older than Reagan at the end of his at the end of his last term at the end of Biden's first term. And next, 
Joe's got baggage. Political baggage trains that stretches all the way back to 1973. And his time in the Senate alone is filled with shit that will just not fly in 2020. Anita Hill will get him eviscerated by women and he'll deserve it. His position on a raft of progressive issues will not pass the sniff test from the base, even if he swings about as far left as Joe Biden can reasonably go, which is only about six to eight degrees, or he'll risk breaking a hip or something. Look, this podcast is not going to fall down the rabbit hole of prediction like we did a few years ago when a certain shriveled orange ball of hate oozed out of our, into our lives, and we'll only to see it win. We will instead use my granny's contingent statement of probability, meaning we're not going to say something will or won't happen. All we're going to say is something might could happen or something might couldn't happen. And so we award Joe Biden our granny's contingent probability score of might couldn't because no one wants more of same old white dude. Coming in just behind Joe Biden, and remember, at this point, polls are basically equally name recognition, is none other than our man, Bernie. Don't Bernie me! Look, I'm a little afraid to talk about Bernie because the people who are into Bernie are really, really into Bernie. And if I were to say the wrong thing about Bernie, people would show up in the studio, put a sack over my head, shove me into a windowless van, and drive me out into the desert for a talking to. And I live about 10,000 miles from the nearest desert. But you know what? I didn't choose the podcaster's life. It chose me. So here we go. Vermont's senior senator, Bernie Sanders, has not announced officially he is running in 2020, but he maintains a strong and deeply connected apparatus from his 2016 run. He enjoys good approval numbers and tops the list as one of the most liked politicians in America. Vermont voters approve of him by 63%. Trump would kill one of his kids. I mean, like definitely Tiffany, maybe Eric for those kind of approval numbers. Would that work? Absolutely. Without question, Sanders has driven the ideological conversation of the Democratic Party steadily to the left and has proposed, proposed several popular with the base ideas, even popular with not the base, with like swing voter ideas, such as Medicare for all and pressing for climate change is a looming issue. Bernie comes into 2020 a powerhouse rather than the plucky socialist underdog of 2016. Bernie is a force to be reckoned with, but... But, no but, I know... Sanders would be 79 at the time of inauguration, so he suffers from the old white dude syndrome more than Joe Biden. And also, he suffers from too much of a good thing. Because once where he stood alone as the stalwart of the progressive left, he's now joined by a plethora of progressive politicians staking claims on ideas he first championed. And take this with the fact that Bernie isn't a Democrat. Never has been. He caucuses with the Democrats, but he's remained proudly independent. So he still lacks the bedrock support of the party apparatus, which faces Bernie bros mean something whether you want it to or not. Also, as we go into primary season, all the faults that people overlooked or ignored in his campaign against Hillary will come rushing back. Just this week in the New York Times, a story about a campaign, the campaign's failure to handle multiple sexual harassment complaints, not against Bernie, and Bernie has claimed ignorance about all of them, but about other staffers and surrogates. He didn't, they just didn't get dealt with. Sanders has a lot of work to connect with black voters who broke decidedly for Clinton in the primaries, and Sanders, but Sanders base itself is very, very white. And not a little bro-y, all right? 
These things still very much exist, perhaps even more so. And these are the things that are going to bring Sanders supporters to my door with a sack and a white van. You know what? Even with all these liabilities, you would have to be a fool to give any other granny contingent probability score but a strong might could and just feel the burn. Elizabeth Warren may be first out the gate, but she's number three on our list for polling. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren has all the progressive bona fides. Are, are you just trying to piss me off, or is that really how you say that? No one actually knows how that fucking word is pronounced, all right? She has all the progressive bona fides of Bernie Sanders. But, you know, is actually a Democrat, which is a good thing to be if you want to be the Democrat nominee. The party is suitably chastened, I think, after 2016, but they will be more enthusiastic over someone with a D behind their name. And Warren's positions are stellar. She's years younger than Biden and Bernie, though she too will be her 70s by inauguration. But again, she's not a dude. She is older and a woman, but not an old white dude. And women are a winning proposition right now. Feel by righteous and rightful rage than the chief, ju- uh, the groper in chief and justice frat boy beer lover on the court. Democrats are primed for a woman the way, the way they weren't maybe with Hillary and Warren comes without the Clinton baggage. She also has experience and a portfolio of policy ideas and legislation to back her up. So Elizabeth Warren is definitely a contender and still Why do you hate me? I don't hate anyone. I'm just trying to be honest here. Elizabeth Warren kind of feels to me like yesterday's news. It's, I mean, it's just a feeling. I haven't, but I don't think I'm alone. Her, her polling hasn't been great. I mean, she's not even getting into the teens at any major polls. And also, God, that DNA thing, that thing just didn't go over well at all. Sanders' candidacy in 2016 grabbed the baton for a lot of Warren's positions and ran away with it, leaving her looking as little like a latecomer instead of the early advocate she actually is. And I just can't shake the feeling that she really should have run in 2016, where even if she didn't win, she'd be far better positioned for 2020 than she is now. I mean, that's hindsight, but a lot of politics is knowing when to jump. And Liz didn't jump. So we award Elizabeth Warren's granny's contingent probability score of Mike couldn't. Speaking of knowing when to jump, we come to number four, my boy Beto. He's just so dreamy. Congressman Robert Beto O'Rourke, the toothy Texan who looks like Bobby Kennedy, rocks a punk band guitar like a dead Kennedy, and makes us all swoon like John Kennedy Jr. did before he was abducted by aliens on orders from his father's brain in a jar. (laughs) O'Rourke came out of nowhere last year to damn near unseat Ted Cruz in a state that loves Republicans more than it loves big hats and barbecue. Beto sparked something in the American heart that we haven't seen since a young Barack Obama. And by losing his bid for Senate, he set himself on a path to the White House in the minds of a lot of Americans, including the aforementioned somewhat older but no less cool and suave Barack Obama. When he said of Beto, 
you know, he's as Jay would say, uh, he's got flow. Former Obama staffers, including the lads from Pod Save America, put it bluntly by when they said, "Knowing when to do something." is vital. Barack Obama, a one-term senator, knew that 2008 was his year when on paper it seemed insane. Beto would be crazy not to run. Except... Why do you do this? Who the hell is Beto O'Rourke? I mean, he's a backbench congressional rep from a small district with zero big legislation to his name, no executive experience whatsoever, Unless, I guess, you count as time fronting a punk band, which, honestly, I kind of do. That's really hard to keep the punk band together. Now that he's not running against a widely despised arthropod in a human skin suit, some people have noticed that he's a lot more cozy with big business than Senate candidate O'Rourke portrayed himself to be, including taking donations as a congressman from oil and gas companies. Also, his progressive credentials are not as sterling as some in the base would like to see, demanding as they do a Bernieological purity. Indeed, the Bernie base views Beto as a direct threat to their anointed leader and have attacked him vigorously in the opening salvos of 2020. Also, as reptilian as Ted Cruz's operation might have been, as tough a fight as the, tennis, as the Texas Senate race was, a serious presidential contention will open up every crypt and closet where any skeletons in Beto's past are hiding and trot them out across the media who are utterly delight in trashing the Golden Boy candidate just for the hate clicks alone. I'm looking at you, New York Times. I'm looking at you. Finally, even as charming and inspiring as Beto is, he's still a white dude in a year where those particular qualities are not as much of an asset as they might have been in the past. But with all of that being true, and with an admitted personal bias towards Beto, I'm going to award Granny's contingent probability score as a might could. Next, we come to California Senator Kamala Harris, junior senator and former attorney general. Harris rose steadily to national prominence in the fight against Trump and his minions over the past two years. She's rightfully earned a reputation as a tough fighter on the Hill, a stalwart progressive and a, a powerful voice for the resistance. Being from California gives her a chance for a strong lead in the delicate count because California's primary is moving on up, baby, and it's getting sooner. So it could really put her ahead in the delicate count. And can I be frank here, pod friends, maybe practical or perhaps even clinical with you when I say if I were going to sit down with central casting and create the ideal gender and ethnic template for a 2020 contender, we would come away with someone who looked an awful lot like Kamala Harris the daughter of a Jamaican father and an Indian mother. When it comes to the cut and thrust of contemporary politics, this is not something that can be overlooked, and anyone who doesn't see that has no business being in the business of politics. On the other hand... You're getting some kind of sick sexual thrill off this, aren't you? Harris's past as an attorney general has some blemishes that weigh heavy with the leftier lefties, and not just with the Sandernistas, but with the activists for Black Lives Matter movement and people for criminal justice reforms. Senator Harris has been a proponent of criminal justice reform. Attorney General Harris's record 
doesn't reflect such an ardent zeal. Jacobin Magazine, which is admittedly pretty far left, they make me look like Joe Biden here, but they make some good points on Harris's record on civil liberties. She settled cases against large corporations with some very shady shit, and rather than pursue them in, in court, she even let semi-sentient slime organism and current Secretary of Treasury Steve Mnuchin's former company get off from her illegal disclosures that literally left people homeless in the wake of the housing crisis. The left has a long memory for things like this. And finally, and most disgustingly, the same thing that makes Kamala Harris a stellar image, ethnicity, and gender really good for the left will play hard in the right-wing hate machine of racism and misogyny. And that makes it hard to connect with even the softer elements of white America that gave us the current embarrassment in chief. I don't like that this is true, but no one could possibly ignore that this is true. Taking all of this into account, though, we very much award Kamala Harris with Granny's contingent probability score of might could. Now we come to New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. I am Spartacus! There's a lot to like with Corey. He seems genuine, earnest, and legitimately concerned about the lives of the people he represents. This is the guy who, as Newark's mayor, shoveled snow out of people's driveways personally, even when he wasn't actively running for office. He's got solid progressive credentials on the big issues and a few that are Corey's own issues, like federal jobs guarantees. He excels at the kind of feel-good soaring rhetoric that gets people on their feet and cheering. And as an African-American who comes from a working-class background and worked his way up, he connects with black voters in a way that goes even beyond Barack Obama's upbringing and touches them where they live, work, and play. This is a powerful combination that honestly ought to have Booker much higher on the rankings than where he is now. And still... Here we go again. There's something about Corey that just says he wants it too much. That his rhetoric and messages are, dare I say, corny or hackneyed. His I am Spartacus moment during the Kavanaugh confirmation saying he would take the sanctions for releasing a letter that he'd do damn well was okay to release came across as a stunt. And it's not the first time he's done something like that. Also, and this is a big problem for Booker, his past on Wall Street, particularly with Wall Street hedge funds, the financial boogeyman of the left, which is a fair thing because they are monsters sucking the lifeblood from the American economy and fill their own dark and bloated skulls, and his vigorous defense of hedge funds are a major liability for the socialist side of the house. Truth be told, they're a liability even for the moderate side of the party who very much want Wall Street money for their campaigns, but don't want to be seen taking Wall Street money. And finally, he's voted against some of Sanders-sponsored healthcare legislations, which has put him in the crosshairs of the Sanders machine. And that's not a place anyone wants to be if they want to mount a serious challenge in 2020. So because of all this, we weigh and measure Corey and award him a Granny's contingent probability score of Mike couldn't. And finally, we come to the last name on our list, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. Who the hell is that? Well, Klobuchar is a three-term senator out of Minnesota who just 
barely squeaks onto the countdown on the heels of her pointed and passionate performance during the Kavanaugh hearings. You might remember when Brett badgered Amy on whether or not she had a drinking problem, which you have to admit is rich coming from a dude who likes beer so much, he would get blackout drunk and try to rape people. Allegedly. Amy doesn't tout the progressive credentials of some of her others on the list, but she's solid enough with a record to reassure Democratic white women, and those folks are going to play a huge role in the coming election. And as a Midwesterner, she could potentially pull back some of those heartland voters that uh, eked individual one into the lofty position he's so utterly unworthy of. But really... Yeah, okay, okay, okay. She hasn't even cracked 3% of the polling and no one really knows much about her or much cares. She's not made any overt moves towards candidacy and really only exists in the realm of liberal pundit speculation in any meaningful way. Amy Klobuchar, if she is running for anything, is maneuvering for a VP spot on the ticket, which actually probably wouldn't be a bad idea. So, you know. Maybe we'll see a Kamala Klobuchar or a Beto Klobuchar or a Biden Klobuchar. No, we're never going to see that. And we're definitely never going to see a Bernie Klobuchar. So we're going to give our final Granny's contingent probability score rating of definitely a might couldn't. There are so many other people dipping their toes into this race. Washington's Governor Jay Inslee has pretty much declared, but uh, he's a single-issue candidate run, running a messaging race on climate change, and that's fucking fantastic. Mike Bloomberg has also all but said he's going to run as either a Democrat or an Independent, but I'll swear to you personally that it will be a... It'll be a cold day in hell! Before I see Mike Bloomberg as President of the United States. New York's Kristen Gillibrand's name is out there, but, uh, you know... That's not going to happen either. She's pissed off a lot of people. And we just learned today as I record this that she's been reaching out to Wall Street for money to fund a presidential campaign. And no one wants to fucking be there either. John Hickenlooper of Colorado, Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, Eric Holder, former Obama Attorney General. And those are definitely some names from the past that are swirling around. We've got names from the past from swirling around like John Kerry. You remember John Kerry from 2004, y'all? And here's another name that still just won't go away, even though, I swear to God, there is no way in hell this is going to happen. But it's out there, and we've all got to deal with it. Hillary Clinton, who is almost definitely not running, we think. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown is almost certain to shoot for the ring. Julian Castro, former Obama official from HUD and San Antonio, Texas mayor's name is in the wind. That's going to be a nasty fight between him and Beto if that pops up. From the business world, we've heard that Jamie Demon of Chase Bank, that little fuckwad, might want to run. Howard Schultz of Starbucks has long insinuated that he wanted to run, but no one's going to vote for fucking Howard Schultz because everyone deep down in their hearts fucking hates Starbucks coffee, even the fucking people that voted for Trump. And, oh, well, let's not forget billionaire Tom Steyer, who's made noises in this direction with his massive ad buy campaign about impeaching Trump. Bless his heart for doing that, but he's not going to be president. But you know what? Hands down, our favorite dark horse candidate <laughs> and this just touches me deeply, is Rhode Island's Lincoln Chafee. You guys remember Rhode Island's Lincoln Chafee, don't you? You don't? 
he was running in, in 2016. Remember, he was in the first debate with Bernie and Hillary and 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 the and, and the guy from Mar- You guys don't remember Lincoln Chafee, and that is your loss. Does that mean that one of the people that we've named either the top seven or our random grab bag of candidates will get the nomination? Absolutely not. We are way too early to say. Unlike 2016, where there was a once and future candidate, this Democratic field is wide open and no one can claim to be the front rider, meaning that they are going to need to go out and campaign the way Hillary didn't have to. We are going to get to see for the Democrats, what the GOP did in 2016, have a whole bunch of names and a whole bunch of debate and a whole bunch of losers before we winnow it down to a few front runners. We will even get some Trump analogs in our Democratic mix in there, although Michael Avenatti has thankfully dropped out of the race because he's a very smart man and hopefully Our electorate will display better taste and intelligence than the GOP base, but at this point in time in America, who the fuck knows? So for now, I say take a good hard look at the names coming across the wire. Not just the seven I've mentioned. Look at all of them. Because who knows? Oprah could be in there. She said no, but you never know. There's still a chance to bring Oprah back in and take them all with a healthy grain of salt. Favorites will rise. Favorites will fall. Some names will drop on. Others will take their place. And never underestimate that a dark horse candidate could come out of the shadows in this troubled time. And in the end, we will all go to the polls and choose who we want to take on individual one in 2020. And a crowded field gives us the luxury of choice we didn't have in 2016. And that can only work to our advantage. But still, keep in mind, nothing is certain. If you want a snapshot of how uncertain the 2020 field might conceivably be, there is very much a non-zero chance. And if I had to give this a hard number, I would still give it at least a 5% chance that Nancy Pelosi could be the Democratic nominee for president in 2020 because she's been president for at least a year or so. Stranger shit has already happened. That is it for our show this week. God, that was fun. I've been off political shows for a while because they were too damn depressing, but it was fun to jump back in the shallow end of the the pool like that. Trust me, there's nothing more meaningless than speculating on an election that won't happen for for almost two years. And if there's anything in this show excels at, it's being meaningless. But you know what? We still hope Beto wins. Rate and review the show wherever you find your podcast. It helps others find this show so they can embrace the meaninglessness of it all. Follow our useless tweets at the Hellerons underscore podcast on Twitter. And every pointless podcast we've ever done is on SoundCloud at the show name and at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. So for me, Dave Beto, fanboy Bledsoe, producer Beto 2020 Gavin, and all the fictional Booker fans on this show, we want to say we feel tears welling up cold and deep inside like our hearts sprung a big break a stab of loneliness sharp and painful that we may never shake at just the thought of Beto not running we'll see you all next week Is on and here comes pride up the back stretch. Heartaches are going to the inside. My tears are holding back and.
I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.